Jesus Christ. It's just religion. It has its place. That's why we say, and we emphatically say when we communicate with people, that we don't have a religion. We have a relationship with a person. Because religion can't save you from hell. But a personal relationship with Jesus Christ can in the first eight verses and coming down Paul's testimony in Philippians chapter 3, he describes how that all of our human efforts, all of our works, and he describes his religious pedigree. By the way, be, among, in the Jewish community, having achieved the things that Paul achieved, that was a feather in his cap. I mean, he was one of the best and the brightest. He was highly respected for all the things that he achieved, Right? And so he describes all those things with the very clear conclusion that those things are not sufficient in of themselves for you to know God. I mean, you might think that you know him because you say, I believe, or you do good, or you come to church, or you've been baptized, or whatever. But the question I think that we all need to wrestle with do you really know him personally? I mean, do you really know the person of the Lord Jesus Christ in a very real, personal way? We all have friends that we would say we know them. We don't just know about them. And so my admonition to you is don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. There are people who are deceived. They're deceived into thinking that knowing about somebody is equivalent to knowing them personally. Look, you pick your favorite performer, pick your favorite athlete, pick your favorite public figure. You may know a lot about them because you follow their careers or you listen to them speak or you know things about them, but if you bumped into them in an airport, they would have no clue who you are, none whatsoever. Uh, let's just make it let's just make it a lot easier those of you that come here regularly to first baptist church i, I thank god for you and you listen to me <laughs> thank you i'm not sure why you listen to me for almost an hour once every week talk about all kind of things and occasionally share very personal stories and you sit here and you may think you know me can I challenge you? Do, you? do you really know me? I mean, how many of you really know Jeff? I mean, some of you do, but a lot of you don't. You know about me. You don't really know me. Um, let, I'm gonna, there's a verse I didn't put in your notes, but I thought of it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 12. This is very interesting. The Lord says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, and we beseech you, brethren to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Do you know that the Bible commands you to really know your leaders? Don't just know about them. I mean, people in churches are funny. They, they get all twisted. If I don't know everything about you, if I don't know you, well, you're supposed to know me. I'm, okay, so I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm just pointing out how easy it is for you to think you, you think you know me. Most of you don't know me. 
A few of you do. Well, now imagine it's the Lord Jesus standing here. Imagine it's the Lord Jesus saying, you think you know me? You know a lot about me. Do you really know me personally? Here in Philippians, in verse number three, he makes an interesting statement. He says, for we are the circumcision. Okay, if you have a little bit of Bible knowledge and you go back to the Old Testament, you know about this Old Testament rite of circumcision where even Paul refers to how he was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, etc., etc. It was the sign of the covenant God gave to Abraham back in Genesis. Let me help you understand what he means when he says we are the circumcision. He's not saying we are the Hebrew nation. That's what it would have meant in the Old Testament. I'm going to add a word for clarity's sake, an explanation to that verse in the Bible. Read it this way. For we are the true circumcision. And you say, well, you can't add to the Bible. I've heard you say you can't add. Okay, I'm not adding to the Bible. I'm giving you clarity. I'm explaining. This principle of adding the idea of emphasizing the one and true one in contradistinction against those that are imitations or false is used throughout the Bible in different places. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 5, it talks about one Lord, one faith, one baptism. None of us in this room who have read the Bible for any length of time at all would say there only exists one Lord. There only exists one faith. And there only exists one baptism. Of course not. The Bible itself reveals that there's many lords, there's many faiths, and there's many baptisms. But Paul's teaching in Ephesians chapter 4 is there's only one true Lord. There's only one true faith. There's only one true baptism. It's the only one of all the others that will save your soul eternally. There's only one Lord that'll save you. There's only one faith that is saving faith. There's only one baptism, and it's not in water, by the way, that is the true spiritual baptism into the body of Christ when you surrender your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he's referring to. To add the idea one true is a biblical concept. So going back to circumcision, that's what he's saying. The Jewish audience would have fully understood the Old Testament rite of circumcision and how that physical operation set the Hebrew nation apart from the others. But herein is the very difficulty that he's dealing with. Because the Hebrews especially, because of this physical operation that might have taken place, they thought that because we, are, we have been physically circumcised, not like the other nations, that means we're okay with God. And Paul is clearly saying that's not the case. That's exactly what I'm saying. It is not the case. He's referring to the one true circumcision, which is a spiritual circumcision, which is defined for us, comparing Scripture with Scripture, in Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 11, where it says, In whom also ye are circumcised with the notice, circumcision made without hands. It's spiritual. And the putting off the body of the sins by the flesh, of the flesh, by the circumcision of of Christ. So that means that the Old Testament ritual of physical operation circumcision is a picture and a type of what Christ will do in your life in the cutting away of the sins of the flesh at the moment that he saves your soul. So we are the circumcision is another way of saying we are the true Christians. 
We are the true disciples. We are the ones who actually have a first-hand personal knowledge of the Savior. And so there are three characteristics of true salvation given in the text. If you are the true circumcision, you worship God in the Spirit, you rejoice in Christ Jesus, and you have no confidence in the flesh. The true circumcision has those characteristics. Worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. But clearly, the thing that Paul emphasizes is the third one, having no confidence in the flesh. Because then he goes on from verse 4 to verse 7, and he lists all of the good things, and they were good things in his environment of the day. All of the good things that he calls them gain of his life. And in this case, they happen to all be religious. They provided for him a high standing in the community. He was well-educated. He was of the right family. He was of the right ethnic group. He was zealous. He was a leader, highly moral. Concerning the righteousness which comes by the law, he said, I'm blameless, and nobody would argue with him. So let me ask you a question. What are your good things? I mean, you ever just thought about it? I mean, this is a nice community. Y'all are nice people. Are you talented? Athletic? Intelligent? Attractive? Musical? Strong? Thin? Popular? Rich? Responsible? (laughs) That's awesome. Those are great things. Those are typically the things we want to put on our New Year's resolutions to get better at one of those or more. That's not salvation. I mean, I hope you have those things. If, if you're a teenager, a lot of those things are very important to you. Okay, that's good. I mean, it's better than being without talent, <laughs> without skill, dumb, ugly, I mean, it's better, okay? But, but what you need to realize, young or old, is that all of the things on that list, they profit you nothing concerning your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, not just do they equal zero, exactly zero. Not only that, Paul said, though all, all those things that I had, and that he actually earned them, they actually hindered my ability to know Jesus personally. They got in the way. And so, I mean, if you're just going to believe the Bible, wow. So you're telling me that the more good things that I achieve potentially hinder my ability to know Christ? Yes, that's exactly what I'm telling you. I mean, it shouldn't surprise you, right? Matthew 19, 24. And again, I say unto you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Well, who wouldn't strive to be more wealthy than they currently are? Okay, so, you know, the Powerball lotto, you know, I'm not gonna make you raise your hand, but none of y'all want it. Three people won one and a half billion dollars. Wow. If those three people are not 
already saved. Do you realize how hard it'll be for them to get saved now? And while we sit at home secretly envying them, we maybe should pray for them. I mean, do you realize that that huge gain, unfathomable gain they've just received can be a hindrance to the most important thing that possibly could ever exist because it affects eternity? I mean, you just need to have some perspective, right? So in verse 8, Paul compares all of his best achievements to dung. I like the King James Bible because it doesn't update the Old English. You don't need to update that word. You know what that word means. Okay, so, <laughs> you know, dumb. I mean, lunch is coming, so I'm going to take it easy. Think, for, think with me for just a second. How nasty that is. I mean, Paul did not say, all that good stuff that I did in my life, I mean, it's good. It's just not, I mean, it's not good enough. But I mean, it's, I mean, it's nothing to shake a stick at. No. No, he said, stinky, waste, dung. That's what he said. In fact, if it were modern, if we were, you know, if Paul was in the 21st century, you know, and he pulled out his iPhone 6 and he's going to send a message to the Philippians, it would have been a text message, right? And he would have texted a message that would have looked something like this. You know, it, about a week ago, I came across this emoji. And for those of you my age and old, the emoji is the little figure. Okay, that's the picture. Okay. And I thought, that's odd. I wonder if that's chocolate ice cream. I mean, it's kind of got the swirl. Okay, so Paul would have texted, my achievements equal, you know, happy face poop. I mean, so, and I, I got to thinking about it. This is Philippians 3.8. This emoji, for those of you, that, this is Philippians 3.8. Because all of your good works that make you, look, the pile thinks he's happy. He's happy. He doesn't realize who he really is. And maybe neither do you. That's what Paul's trying to communicate. Maybe neither do we. We're really happy and sometimes don't recognize really what all that stuff is. You know why? You know why that's the case? You know why Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, makes that analogy? Because, as he says in the next verse, in verse 9, it demonstrates his righteousness. They're his good works. The righteousness which is of the law is the righteousness that I can achieve by doing better than everybody else. But the righteousness which is of Christ comes by faith right? That's what's required. And so in the context of Israel, he's an Israelite, right? A Hebrew of the Hebrews. 
You go back to the Old Testament in Isaiah 64 and verse number 6 where the Bible says that all of our, again, we're talking about Israel. Israel's the people of God, by the way. They're the physically circumcised. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. You may have heard this before. Forgive me for the analogy. It's accurate. It is the rags that a woman would use in her monthly cycle. It, it is a filthy rag. That All of the best things that we can achieve are compared to that. Paul chose to compare it to dung. Again, with reference to Israel, Romans chapter 10, we come into the New Testament, verse number three, for they, the context is Israel, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness with all their good works from the law, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. And then you come through Romans chapter 10 with some of the most famous verses we use about how we have to confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead and we'll be saved. How do you really come to know the Lord? Well, it's by grace through faith, not by all the good things that we think we've done. If we're going to be found in Christ, like it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, in other words, truly knowing him personally, then we need God's righteousness which is described in verse 21 of that chapter, 2 Corinthians 5.21. We get his righteousness, and it only comes through the faith in Christ. So we need a real living relationship with Jesus Christ. It's the kind of relationship that allows us to worship God in the Spirit. It's something that can't be faked. It's, it's from our very spirit. It's a real connection, the kind of real connection that you have with your dearest friends that you really know. And you rejoice in Christ Jesus. You truly get excited about his presence and influence in your life. Do you have that? Or are you just religious? Because to know God personally, you need a relationship, not just religion. And our second point, to know God personally, you need reality, not just rhetoric. You need a reality. It can't just be in words. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 21. Not every, this is Lord Jesus speaking. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? Then will I profess unto them some of the scariest words in all the Bible. I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Iniquity? I thought they just did prophecy and casting out devils and wonderful works. Yeah, remember what all those things are compared to? Oh yeah. So, as we say, talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. It's easy to say that you know God. It's easy to keep God and other people who talk about him all the time at an arm's length, isn't it? If that bothers you. I mean, they're just words. By the way, literally billions of people on this planet will say they love God, they know God, they believe in him. 1 John chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar definition of the word liar what you just said 
is not true. What did you just say? Oh, I know him. Oh, so you don't know him. You just said you know him. So like Jesus said in Matthew 7, not everyone that says it is really saved. I don't know. Every, people can say they know me. And he'll say, I don't know you. Again, you pick your favorite sports athlete, you run into him in a big airport, hey, and you call out their name and they're like, I don't know you. Do I know you? It's kind of like that. So, can I just tell you? Again, let me talk to you guys over here a little bit. You, you guys, you grow up, you're young, you're in church because most of you, most of you, because your parents are in church and they brought you here and it's awesome. Some of you are here because your friends invited you and that's awesome too. But for the most part, you have been around this lingo all your lives. You've heard about Jesus, you've heard about salvation, you've heard about the Bible, you've heard the stories, you've heard about righteousness, you've heard about all this stuff and yet somehow, for some of you, it's just never clicked. I mean, you're not rebellious, you're not, you're not evil, you're, you're going you're gonna to be a, a good, obedient child to your parents most of the time, and you're going to show up because that's what we do, and we want you to, and so you're going to, and that's all fine, but do you realize that all that religious activity and all the knowledge that you have about the stories can become a hindrance to the real living relationship that you need to have with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like being vaccinated with religion so that now you never really catch the real disease of Christianity. Let me just tell you something. That scares the devil out of me. That scares me for you. It scares me for you that you got just enough info to think you're okay when the truth of the matter is maybe you'll find yourself in the category of Matthew 7. Lord, you're not disrespectful. Lord, haven't we done these things? And he's like, I, I don't really know you. Who are you? doesn't mean the Lord doesn't know who you are. It means we don't have a personal, intimate, working relationship. That's why, y'all, a young person one day gets it. Something clicks. Youth camp, whatever it might be, and they say, wow, I get it. I finally get it. I surrender my heart and my life to the Lord Jesus. I mean, and, and they get fired up, and you love the Lord, and you talk about him, and you get excited about the Lord. For the first time in your life, you might be 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 years old, and you, you were in church all along, but something clicked, and you got it. And far too frequently, you know what happens? Well, your friends that you've known that come to church, they start saying, really? Slow down. Pump the brakes. Look, man, we know all that stuff you know. And they would never say this sentence, but let me just tell you what they're really saying. But we're cool enough to still be worldly. And so the person who really gets on fire for the Lord finds themselves ridiculed, mocked, pointed at, talked about, made fun of, not invited to places anymore. 
Let me tell you something. If by chance that's happened to you or you, those people that are treating you like that, they're not your friends. And let me tell you what else they're not. Probably not in a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because anybody who has truly entered into a life-transforming relationship personally with the creator God of the universe will never... They may not choose to walk the right path today, but they will never mock you for doing it. They don't know the Lord. They don't know the Lord. This is a sobering thing, y'all. Talk is cheap. They start out, Matthew 7, Lord, Lord, right? They're not mocking anybody. They're, They're calling out to the Lord. They're reverent, but the words aren't enough. So I have in your notes, God wants us to do his will. Those that do the will of my father. Okay, well, what is the will of my father? Well, let's compare scripture with scripture and let God tell us himself. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You see that? It's God's will that nobody goes to hell. It's God's will that everybody repents. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. You see that? God's will is that all men will be saved. You say, yeah, but I've done a lot of good things. I say, yeah, so did those that Jesus talked to in Matthew chapter 7. So write this down in your notes. It's possible to be busy for God without really knowing him. You, you don't, there will be people in that category of Matthew 7. You don't want to be one of them. It's possible. It says in verse 22, we prophesied in his name. Can I tell you that just because sometimes people preach or witness, share their faith, tell others, that doesn't guarantee that they are possessors of a personal relationship with the Lord. Do you remember in Philippians chapter 1, if you flip back just a page, It says in verse 15, some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention. Notice, not sincerely. Some guys are out there preaching the truth and they don't even really mean it. I have a reference for you in Jeremiah 23, verse 16. And various verses subsequently where God is basically saying, Don't listen to these prophets that speak their own words. They're not speaking my words. In verse 21, it says, I haven't sent these guys. They ran out on their own. I didn't speak to them, but yet they spoke in my name. Verse 25 says, they prophesy lies. And in verse 28, God says, look, man, if all you got's a dream, tell your dream. But if you've got my word... (laughs) Speak my word faithfully. God, God in that chapter goes on and says how he's against those people. I don't care what you have prophesied. That doesn't guarantee you that you know Jesus. How about casting out devils? Maybe you've been a part of helping see other people's lives changed. Is that a bad thing? It's a wonderful thing. Matthew chapter 12, verse 43. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, casting out devils, 
He walketh through dry places seeking rest and findeth none. Then he saith, I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when he has come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Then goeth he, this devil, and taketh with himself seven other spirits, more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. So it's possible for you just to clean up your life empty all the junk out but not refill it with the Holy Spirit and while the devil has been cast out and is wandering around he says oh there's an empty house I'll just go back and because now you think you're better off because you quit smoking and drinking and taking drugs and whatever now you think you're okay now you're housing seven more demons, more wicked, and you're in a worse state than you were in the beginning. How about many wonderful works? Well, again, miracles, healing, good deeds. I mean, are you a nice guy? You don't hurt anybody? You give to charity? You contribute to dig wells in Africa? You, give, you text $10 to the Red Cross when there's a tsunami? Okay, great. It's not enough. Sorry. You need more than rhetoric. You need the reality of a personal relationship with a risen Savior. How do you get that? Well, that's our third point. To know God personally, you need repentance, not reformation. Reformation would be what I just talked about, Matthew 12, and the unclean spirit goes out. A lot of people, listen, we have a ministry, and thank God for the ministry, called A New Beginning. It's an addiction recovery ministry, and we help people who are trying to recover from addictive behaviors. We work with people that come out of the jail. We help people who have given their life over to other substance abuse. And, and sometimes those people are just so sick of the road they find themselves on, they, they muster up enough self-will to just quit doing bad things. Well, that is good, and the police are glad for that. But if you don't fill it with the Lord Jesus, and the people who work in this addiction ministry will tell you that the, the percentages are way too high of people that will show up and say the right things because they truly want some relief from the behavior that was so addictive. But if they don't fill it with the Lord, eventually they just go back to it. And the percentage is way too high of people that rubber band right back to that old life. And thank God for the people whose lives have really changed and we've seen that and heard the testimonies of some of them in our midst over the years and it's fantastic. But sometimes that's just reformation. People just reform themselves. That's not what gets you eternal life. It's, a, it's repentance. Jesus calls us to repent. All through his earthly ministry in Mark chapter 1 verse 15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand repent ye and believe the gospel that's what Jesus said in Mark chapter 2 and verse 17 then they that are whole have no need of the physician but they that are sick I came not to call the righteous but sinners to do what to repentance Luke's version of the Great Commission chapter 24 and verse 47 and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem 
And Jesus Christ died to give you the ability to do that. So repentance, by definition, is a change. That's what it is. That's what that means. It's real change. It's defined in this little passage in Matthew 21, verses 28 to 32. We have seen this before in our church. But just to summarize Matthew 21, 28 to 32, it's the story of a man who has two sons, and he tells his sons he wants to go out and work in the field. And one guy says, I'm not doing it. And then the Bible says, but then he repented and went. And the other guy said, you know, I'll do it, but then he didn't do it. Okay, so by definition, in the context of the story, repentance is to change your mind. It's a change of mind. The guy said, I ain't doing it. Oh, wait, then he repented, he changed his mind. And then he actually did something about it. He went and worked in the field, see? So what you need to change your mind about in order to have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, first and foremost, you need to change your mind about yourself. You need to see yourself in that cute little emoji we had up on the screen. That's, that's the summation of the wonderfulness that is you <laughs> and me too. You need to realize that you're no good and you need a savior. And then you need to change your mind about God. You need to change your mind that he's not just, you know, the genie in a bottle that comes to fulfill your every desire when you need something. He's the Lord God from heaven, the eternal, holy, righteous judge of the universe who loves you so much that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, into this world to die the most awful death ever and to take upon him all of your sin and all of your shame and all of your guilt and to be buried and to rise again the third day according to the scriptures and to offer now to you a free gift Will you receive me as your personal Lord and Savior? And I will give to, if you will give to me your entire life, I will give to you my entire life. And mine is eternal. Mine is eternal. You need to change your mind about those things if you want to have a real relationship with the Lord. You know what will happen? 100% of the time if you will change your mind about those two things this new mindset this new understanding becomes your conviction it will cause you to humble yourself it will cause you to truly once and for all confess your sins and ask Jesus to forgive you this is not just the Monopoly, get out of jail free. This is full surrender. For who you are, you pile of emoji, and who God is to offer you this phenomenal gift. And you receive it humbly, thankfully. You will have done His will in salvation anyway. And once you enter into his will for salvation, then he begins to unfold other things that are his will for you to walk with him. We'll talk about that another day.
John chapter 14 and verse number two. We're going to close with this verse. This verse is truly one of my favorite things, I kid you not, that Jesus Christ has ever said. It's my personal, one of my personal favorites. John 14, 2. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Why is that my favorite thing? It's not about the mansions that he's going to prepare, and that is, wow, that's awesome. The reason it's one of my favorite things is that Jesus said this. If it wasn't this way, I'd have told you. If the truth I'm telling you was different, I'd have told you different. Man, he loves you. He gave his life to prove how much he loves you. And he lays this out. He gave us his word. It's perfect. It's infallible. It's pure. It's preserved. You have a copy. It's in your language. It's clear. You understand it. And he says, in, in, in the event that maybe you're thinking it's not that way, let me put your mind at ease. If it weren't that way, I'd have told you the way it is. But I'm telling you the way it is, it's this way. That's very reassuring. He's not lying to you. You need to repent. You need to change your mind. You need to get serious. You need to quit playing games. I'm telling you, there's church members all over this planet this morning that are deceived. They're deceived. Don't misunderstand me. We've had a little bit of fun, but all of our good, and, and, and truly, many of you represent much good that takes place. It, it's compared to dung in the comparison to the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Compared to that, I'm not saying your good things aren't good. They're good things. But compared to the excellency of, of knowing him, it, 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 you can't compare it. So one day you'll stand alone before Jesus Christ. You can take it to the bank. It's going to happen. You don't have to agree. It's going to happen anyway. What's he going to say to you? Is he going to say to you, if that day were today, if the voice of God sounded like a trump and time came to an end today and you stood before Jesus Christ today, honest, honest engine, deep in your heart, what do you really think God would say to you depart from me I never knew you or well done my good and faithful servant enter into the joy of the Lord if there's a question if there's a doubt about what he would say to you you know what the good news is you can take care of that today you can take care of it right now and I'm going to ask you to do it. I mean, you can settle this thing once and for all. If it were not so, I would have told you. 
So seriously, all. I mean, let's get this thing done. I don't care if you're young, if you're old, if you're a regular attender, if this is your first time. Would you, would you consider the possibility God brought you here today to hear this message, to touch your heart, to cause you lovingly to consider once and for all, I need to quit hanging on to what I've been hanging on to. It's time for me to finally just surrender it all so that you could hear, you could respond, and you could know in person, enter into that relationship. I mean, really. Well, what about my friends? What about my parents? What about, the, I've been coming to this church for years. What would everybody think? Really? Do you care, really, that much? Does it really, are, are you willing to preserve what you think maybe your friend might think above the risk of being told by the Lord Jesus, I never knew you? It's ridiculous. By the way, your true friends will rejoice. The angels in heaven will rejoice. You will have the load just lifted off your chest. You will rejoice. You're in church. This is a friendly crowd. The, the real question is, do, do you want that? Do you, want, do you really want a personal relationship with Jesus? I'm not saying do you really want to not go to hell. Do you really want to know him personally? Because if you don't, then we're just back in rhetoric. I, I pray that you will. Let's pray together. I'd like to ask everybody to have their heads bowed and eyes closed. We will never embarrass you here. But I want to ask you a question, and I want you to respond. If you believe God has spoken to you, regardless of your background, religious, unchurched like myself, whether you've come here for years, whether this is your first time, or anywhere in between, God has spoken to me today. I need to get this thing right once and for all. I need to surrender my heart to the Lord Jesus. I am changing my mind right now about who I am and who he is. I don't care what anybody else thinks. I want to know him. And I'm going to drive a stake in today's date on the calendar and say this is the day that I'm going to do it. If that is you, I want you to hold your hand up high. Just hold your hand up high. Nobody's going to bug you about it. Just hold your hand up high. There are hands all over the place. In the back, on the right side, in the middle, upstairs. Thank you. God bless you. Anybody else? You can take your hand back down. Anybody else? This is for me today. God spoke to me. You can put your hand back down. Thank you. God bless you. Will you pray with me then? Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us enough to covering all these bases, to pointing out how we can get confused in this world, how we can get deceived, and how we can get twisted on things thinking we're okay. And Lord, you've made it very clear that we're not okay. 
Lord, I want to pray for these people who honestly and sincerely have raised their hand and said, wow, I'm tired of whatever it is my life has looked like until now. Lord, I surrender. I give. I'm done doing it my way. I'm done making excuses. I changed my mind about who I am. There's no question that I'm a sinner. I can't get out of this hole. You have to rescue me. You have to save me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Lord, I want that personal relationship. I want that joy of salvation. I want to know you and walk with you starting right now. Lord, would you please just forgive me of my sins? Will you come into my heart and my life? Will you give me the free gift of eternal life, Lord? I don't care what anybody else thinks from today forward. I surrender all of me to all of you that you would live in and through me and that we would become friends. I'll read your word and hear from you. I'll pray to you and talk back to you and we'll just have a relationship. I want that. Please forgive me. And Lord Jesus, I also want to pray for people who know they've known you. They know that they're saved, but for some reason they've just let it grow cold. And I know we've talked about salvation, but maybe today is a good day just to remind them, hey, it's time to get serious. It's time to make it real in 2016. We don't know how much time we've got left. But God, I pray that you bring revival in my heart. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with me?